Well, good afternoon, everybody. Well, that was, that was good. That was pretty good for a first time. You know, usually I have to do that twice, but that was good. I think I'm going to let you off with that. Well, it is good to be uh, in front of you again. It's a little while since I've done this, so uh, I'm appreciating the, the privilege of bringing you God's Word. And uh, I don't know about you, but it, it seems to me that if you've been born in the UK in the last 50 years or so, you might be able to relate to, to what I'm going to say to you. This seems to be a common memory from everybody's childhoods, as far as I can tell. Uh, normally, it, it, is, it is a Saturday evening, Saturday night. Uh, the family are sitting watching TV. Depending on how old you are, that might be black and white TV, or perhaps color TV, or perhaps a plasma TV, or we don't know. And uh, it's just before bedtime. Bedtime, because you are probably five or six or seven years old. And it is time for Doctor Who. And it is Doctor Who, and most likely there's some scary monster on the TV. Okay, whether it's uh, the Cybermen or the Sea Devils or whatever, whatever uh, thing the BBC special effects people c come up with, with plastic and cereal boxes. And, and you're hiding behind the sofa. Okay, you're hiding behind the sofa or the settee or another piece of furniture, peeking out. Because it's really scary. And the monsters are really big and nasty. And you're scared. And you're looking out. Is that just me? I don't know. It seems to be a lot of people who I've met. And perhaps as we grow up, we don't get as scared about things like that. But we are still scared of things. We do still have fears in our life. And for most of us, we have perhaps some irrational fears, spiders, heights, fish, whatever it may be. Uh, but I think all of us have, at one time or another, or perhaps quite a lot of the time, experienced two fears. And that is the fear of death and the fear of other people. The fear of death and the fear of other people. Uh, in fact, some of us live with those pretty much all of our lives. When I say fear of other people, I don't just mean fear that someone's going to come around and give you a good, a good, uh, a good beat up or whatever, a good, a good smack in the face. It might be fear. Well, what are they going to think of me? What do other people think of me? What will they say about me? Perhaps say about me when I'm not there. How will they judge me? Do they want to take my family stuff? Do they want to do better than I do? Am, am I not up to their standards? Will they damage my reputation? Will they shame me in public? And for the fear of death, we fear death perhaps because of physical pain, but also probably far much because of the sense of loss, perhaps. I'm going to lose something. And uncertainty, what will happen next? What happens after I die? And perhaps we try to control them in some ways. Perhaps we try to come up with little strategies or, or I'm thinking about something I'm scared of, so I'll watch Doctor Who. Uh, or, or whatever it may be. But we've not faced them. 
We've not stared in their face and confronted them. Why should we? It's the very thing, it's the very thing we're afraid of. Why should, we, why should we face it? Well, we're continuing today with the story of Jacob, picking up where Ian left off last week. And we're looking at Jacob's fears. What he was scared of. And today we're going to really see those two things in his life. We're going to see a fear of death and a fear of other people. We're also going to see his fear of God and what happened after that. So we're going to set this out in in three scenes. Uh, First of all, we're going to look at uh, Jacob's fears, uh, the fears of his brother, the fear of death. And if you're following on with me, uh, please do open your Bible uh, at Genesis chapter 32. Our first section is going to be Genesis chapter 32, verses 1 to 21. Then we're going to look at the fear of God. And how Jacob came to a fear of God. That's going to be in Genesis 32, verses 22 to 32. And finally, we're going to see how Jacob faced his fears and how we can face our fears. That's going to be Genesis 33, verses 1 to 17. Uh, You can see those sections on the screen. They're on the back of your handout. I would encourage you just to make some points, perhaps, as you go along. Hopefully you've got a pen. Uh, And I hope my burden is really today that we would see and understand how to truly face and conquer our fears, we have to learn a reverent fear of God instead. We have to learn a bigger fear than the fear of death and the fear of people. We truly face and conquer our fears when we have learned that reverent fear of God. So let me just pray and we'll get into that. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the fact that you have given us these, these narratives, these stories. They were about people who lived a long time ago and yet they seem so relevant to us today. Will you, Lord, teach us something new today? Will you make us different when we leave, from when we arrived. Thank you, Father. Amen. So we're just, if you're joining us, perhaps for the first time, or perhaps you've been out for a couple of weeks, let me just give you a quick recap of the story so far. We're looking at a guy called Jacob. Uh, He was the son of a guy called Isaac and the grandson of someone called Abraham. And they're living in the Middle East. Uh, God has promised to his grandfather Abraham that he's going to make his descendants into a great people, that they're going to be numerous and that they will live in a land and they are going to be uh, blessed. But up to this point, if we're honest, uh, Jacob has not really been the kind of guy who you would think was going to be filling in on that promise. You know, he did not really kind of fit the mold, fit the bill. He's, uh, He's stolen the right from his his brother to be called his his father's heir. And he has he has deceived his father into making him into him the, the successor and giving him the promise that was actually given to his grandfather, rather than to Esau, who's his brother. We'll see him in a little while. 
But despite all this, this uh, deceiving that Jacob's been doing, this lying, we saw last week that God was faithful to his promise that he was going to uh, bless him as he blessed Isaac and as he blessed Abraham. And you might think, well, okay, okay. You know, Jacob, you might have been lying and deceiving, but it's been going well for you. You've done all right. You've become a wealthy man. You got married a couple of times. And, and, and you've, got, you've got a lot of kids, so, you know, that, that's going well. You can see, you see on the, if we put up the slide from last week, I don't know if you remember this slide from last week, uh, the map with uh, how he'd been traveling. Uh, he's he's uh, gone up there to Haram, and he's now on his way back. And he's actually just about getting to a place, we'll find out in a minute, called Peniel. Uh, so he's just about getting there. And you can see, he, you know, he, as I say, he's got married, his children, he's, he's, got, he's wealthy, he's doing well. But, maybe not. Maybe not, because on that trip that God has told him to, God's told him to go back to the promised land, the land of Canaan, we sang about it in a moment, the bad news is he's going back to where his older brother is, Esau. Now, that'll be the one who Jacob cheated 20 years ago. That'll be the one who said, when I see Jacob, I'm going to kill him. And this is where he's got to go back to. So, might not be quite as good as we might think. So, we're back in chapter 32 here, and we are thinking, first of all, about Jacob's fears. Jacob's fears. And you can see that uh, he's left his family behind, his father-in-law. They're on their way to Canaan. And straight away there's uh, an incident recorded here where angels meet with Jacob. We don't hear a lot about it. We just know a few details. I think it's fair to say Jacob sort of takes that as, yeah, okay, God is with me. I'm on the trip here. God is with me. I'm doing okay. Uh, And Jacob then starts to think about, well, okay, I've got to meet my brother. I've got to meet my brother. What am I going to do about it? And and it's pretty, it's clear, he's scared. Why wouldn't you be? He's he's just threatened to kill you. Excuse me, threatened to kill you 20 years ago. Uh, So what Jacob does is he sends messengers to his brother. Uh, God had sent messengers to Jacob, we know that angel is, a, is another word for messengers, so God has sent a messenger to Jacob. Now Jacob is going to send messengers to his brother Esau. And have you ever done that? You know, you didn't want to meet someone face to face, and so you sent perhaps a friend or a, a, a relative even to, to go and talk to them. You know, you're a bit reluctant, and you say to them or flatter them, you know, make, make them... Make them Make me sound good to them, will you? Uh, again, another childhood memory, a bit older, when I was at school, would be uh, trying to get my friends to go up to girls and say, my mate right fancies your mate. Uh, obviously, obviously, it was pretty unsuccessful, but, 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 you know, you did this thing where you persuade... I didn't do that with Denise, by the way. Um, you, 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 you know, you did that kind of thing. You, you, you didn't want to go yourself. You're embarrassed. You sigh. So you send someone over to speak well of you. 
to say that. And so that's what Jacob does. And there you are in verse 6, the messengers come back. You see there in verse 6, the messengers come back. Uh, let's, just, let's just expand that brief verse there for a moment. Let's just use our imagination and just expand that verse for a minute. Because I think there's more in there emotionally than perhaps is coming out. You know, it's Jacob talking to his messengers. You know, Jacob's like, so you, uh, you saw my brother Esau then, did you? Like, yeah, 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 we did. He was good. He, he looked good. He looked good. He's done well for himself. He's quite wealthy. Got a lot of stood off. Did you uh, give him my message? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, we, we gave him the message. What did he say? Oh, he said he's going to come. He's going to come right over. He's going to meet you. He's going to come right over and you will be just... Uh, Glad to see him, we're sure. Oh, good, good, good. That's, uh, that's good, right? I mean, he's coming to see me, so that's, that's really good. Yeah, yeah, it's good. He said he's coming with uh, 400 men. What? Oh, yeah, no, he said he's, coming with, uh, he said he's coming with 400 men. He's coming with 400 men? Did he say anything about violence? Did he say anything about sharpening swords or anything like that. No, no, didn't really mention it. He's just saying he's coming with the four. I mean, this guy's, this guy's fear has just gone up ten times. You know, 400 is an army at this time. It's an army at any time. It's, it's certainly an army at that time. And this guy now is just thinking, what is going to happen? Jacob is filled with fear and distress. And is, is that the way with your fears? That's the way with my fears sometimes. Your imagination adds to the fact and amplifies your fact, the fact. So that something which, with a set of facts, could be okay, you're now making the biggest thing in the world. And we start living tomorrow, today. And that's what Jacob is now doing. He starts thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow. And he's living that in his mind over and over and over again today. So what does he do? We can see the things he does there it, it, after, he's heard, after he hears that. He does some sensible things. He does some things that any of us would be, you know, that's good. You can see there, as, as you read down the passage, first of all, he, he tries to reduce the risk. He tries to reduce the risk to his family and to his wealth. He divides everything up. He says, well, okay, if Esau comes and they attack that, that group, over there, this group can get away. They can run away. There's going to be a massacre. I know there's going to be a massacre, but they might get away. Yeah, that's sensible, right? That's sensible. The second thing that he does is he prays to God. You see there uh, in verse, verse 9. And this is a fantastic prayer to God. This is a fantastic prayer for someone who is, who is in distress, for someone who is afraid. This is a really nice little model, model prayer. Jacob, Jacob worships God for who he is in verse 9. He's thankful to God. He says, you know, when I, when I crossed the river going the other way, I had nothing. And I'm coming back with all this stuff. Excuse me. He, he's thankful to God. He acknowledges that, that he's nothing without God. 
And, and he asks God to, to save him from his fear. Verse 11, to save him from this disaster that, that Jacob thinks is coming over the horizon. And then thirdly, you can see just below, below that, he, he then goes into this, this uh, piece of text where he, he sets out this strategy to pacify his brother. And he's saying to, saying to different groups of people, okay, now you go first. Uh, you take these gifts with you. Uh, when you see Esau, say, oh yeah, Esau, he's, he, uh, Jacob, he's coming along, he's at the back somewhere. Uh, look, all these are yours, you know, he's a great guy, he's giving you all these donkeys and camels or whatever else. And then, okay, this next group of people go along and you say, oh yeah, Jacob is really a great guy, you know, look, he's sending all these donkeys, you know. And then his family, and then right at the back, right, right, right back off in the dust of the camels somewhere is Jacob. And he's going to be the last guy who turns off. Turns off. Now, is it me, or is it a coincidence, this strategy just happens to mean that Jacob is at the back and that everybody else is in front of him? Is that just, am I just reading something into that? You know, this guy is hanging out at the back. And again, we do this sometimes, don't we? Do we do this if, you, if you're meeting with someone you do not want to meet with? Perhaps, perhaps it's, a, it's a family dinner or something, and the relatives are coming over. And they're the relatives you, and we all have them, let's be honest, in the family somewhere. The relatives who you're not so keen on. And they're coming over for dinner. And you say, perhaps you say to someone, someone else in the family, well, you go down and talk to them, I'll be there in a minute. And sort of ten minutes go by, and you're not there, and someone shouts upstairs, Ian, are you coming downstairs? Yeah, I'll be, uh, I'll be down in a minute. I'll be, there. I'll be there soon. I'm just doing something. Something really important. I'll be there in a minute. And, and, and eventually you go down. You're the last one into the room and you're really reluctant to be face to face with these people. This is what, is it me? This is what Jacob's doing. He is just the guy at the back. So, so he is so scared of meeting his brother face to face that he is setting out all these strategies to try and protect himself, to protect his family. He thinks there's going to be blood in the desert, and he's trying to protect what's his. And, and interestingly, we know he's scared of, of meeting him face to face, because in verses 20 and 21, uh, if you just look there with me, in verses 20 and 21, it talks about faces five times. It talks about faces five times. Now, that's not immediately clear because, because of the translation. But let me just help you out with this in terms of the original language that it would have, it would have uh, taken place in. You can see there, Jacob says, uh, I will pacify him with these gifts. But the words there in Hebrew says literally, I may cover his face with these gifts. Okay? Have you ever have you ever done that with a little kid or something? You, know, you get a big teddy bear and you hold it up in front of them and it's covering their face. And all they can see is the gift. They can't see you, just the gift. They're just like, oh, oh wow, teddy bear. Um, uh, and grab the teddy bear. They haven't seen you. They've seen the gift that has covered their face. Uh, Jacob also says, uh, I am sending ahead in that section. Literally, uh, he, is, he, is send, he is sending 
gifts before his own face. So back, go back to the kid holding it up. The adult, the adult is holding up the teddy not only in front of the child's face, but also in front of their face. So even if the kid did try and look past the teddy, they wouldn't be able to see the adult because the, the teddy is still covering the face. Um, it, and Jacob, again, Jacob says, when I see him, when I see Esau, again, that is literally when I face him, when I look in his face. And then he says, perhaps he will receive me. Again, in the Hebrew, that would be, he will raise, perhaps he will raise my face. So go back to the kid and the teddy bear. Uh, the kid's got the teddy bear now, really excited, looking at the teddy bear. And the adult gets the child's face and just gently lifts the face up to look at the adult. Stop looking at the gift now, look at the adult. So, so Jacob is saying, perhaps Esau will raise my face. I'm, I'm going to be humble, looking down, he's going to raise my face to look at him. And then again, and again, uh, and again in verse, in verse 22 there, he says, uh, sending gifts on ahead of him. It's the same thing from number two. Uh, again, gifts in front of my, my face. Uh, just emphasizing this idea of I don't want to look in his face. I do not want to see him face to face. I am so scared. But for all his strategies, for all of the ways in which he's trying to reduce the risk, he's still scared. He's still afraid of his brother. And so are we. For all of our strategies, for all the ways we try and cope with our fear of other people, we're still scared. We're still scared. What Jacob needs is to replace his fears about his brother. His fears of death with a bigger fear. With a fear of something much bigger. With a fear of God. And we need to do the same if we're going to face our fears. And this is what happens next. This is what happens in the next section of our passage here today. Uh, if you look down there, down into, into verses 23, uh, 24 and onwards. Uh, so because of this brilliant strategy, Jacob is now alone. Okay, All the family are on the other side and they're waiting for Esau to turn up. And he says, a man appears. Who is this man? We see that Jacob wrestles with this man. He doesn't seem to be able to beat him. Why can't he beat him? Good question. Well, there is some debate about the identity of this man. We certainly know from the passage that he represents God in some ways, because later on we can see uh, that Jacob says, well, his name is changed to Israel, which means struggle with God. That in there. Uh, and also he says, he changes the name to something that says, yes, I've been face to face with God. Um, but on the other hand, uh, we know that it is uh, a man. Because uh, he says it is a, he says it calls it a man. Elsewhere in the in the Bible, don't don't turn there now, but in uh, Hosea chapter twelve, it says this is an angel, but it also says in the same passage that it's God. So again, there's some confusion there, but uh, some scholars suggest that this is Jesus. Okay, so some some scholars of the Bible 
suggests that there are places in the Old Testament where Jesus is, is physically on earth before he is born in Bethlehem to Mary uh, in the Christmas story. Uh, and this is one of them, they argue. And this, that makes some sense to me. You know, we, 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 know that he, we know that he is God. We know that he is a man. The idea of God and man together is a familiar idea. It's one that Jesus fulfills. So I think on balance that, that is what I would go with. Um, we certainly know this person represents God, and we certainly know they are all-powerful. We can certainly say that. Uh, and so there's some wrestling going on, but, but Jacob can't beat him. Now, I don't think this is wrestling in terms of WWF. Yeah, I don't think this is wrestling in terms of in the blue corner, Jacob, son of Isaac, in the red corner, God. I don't think it's that sort of wrestling. Okay. Uh, this, this to me is like wrestling when you see maybe a four or five-year-old kid wrestling with their dad. Okay. This is like uh, dad's perhaps uh, relaxing at the end of the day and the kid comes up and just jumps on dad and starts tussling with him. The kid really wants to, like, win and, and get approval and to get and to have an encounter with Dad. Dad is totally in control. Dad can finish this at any moment. You know, he can just pick the kid up, you're going to bed or whatever he decides to do. But parents don't, do they? Parents keep wrestling with the kid. Because I think that the father appreciates the, the striving, appreciates the, the, the time of almost bonding together, of wrestling together. Yeah, this is good fun. Yeah, we're having a good time. So I think this is the kind of wrestling that's going on here. I don't think this is three falls in a submission. I don't think it's that kind of thing at all. This is an intimate encounter with God. Whatever form, whatever form that is. Like the child and the father, there is a bonding going on here. There is a face-to-face -face encounter going on here. We know that from what he calls a place. He says he's been with God face-to-face. -face. It's an encounter with someone who has absolute power. Jacob could be killed by this person at any time. His opponent is overwhelming. And this is the beginning of the fear of God. This is the beginning of the fear of God for Jacob, and it is for us to know that we are not in control. That God can destroy us in a moment. That indeed we deserve being destroyed because of the things we've done. We bring nothing to the table. We are without merit. And we are in the presence of someone who is totally in control. And so Jacob struggles with God face to face all night. He has this encounter, this intimate uh, level encounter. And, and for Jacob, God is no longer far off. He is face to face. He didn't want to meet Esau face to face, but he's now face to face with God. And Jacob understands that, that, that this is someone who now is vastly superior. And yet he perseveres like that kid. The kid doesn't give up, you know. You guys know if you do something once with a kid, you've got to do it 50 times. You know, he's in there again. He is still wrestling. He's going to persevere and, and ask this man to bless him. 
And we see, this is what I want to suggest to you, this is where Jacob's fear of God is maturing. Where ours mature, where we start to move past the fear, the, the I'm scared fear, and an emotion comes instead which is more of awe, wondering, yes, I'm scared, but this guy is great. This guy is wonderful. So I'm scared of him, but wow, this is, this is great. And, and at the end of the encounter, for Jacob, God acknowledges that something has changed for Jacob. God changes his name to Israel, which literally means, it tells us in the passage, he struggled with God. And Jacob names the place Peniel, meaning I have seen God face to face. And this is where Jacob's fear of God has reached the point that it should do. It's worship. He has now named a place after God. He's now saying, yes, you are wonderful and you're worthy of my worship. Yes, I'm scared. I'm scared because, you know, for us now, God is angry at us because of our sin. We get that. But this is also an incredible, wonderful person, a wonderful God. And my response to that, Jacob's response to it, our response to that is to worship him. In this encounter, Jacob has learned to fear God. And yes, it starts as terror and, and dread of some kind. You know, he's wrestling with this powerful person. But it's ended with trust and worship. The fear of God comes from understanding just exactly how wretched we are and how glorious he is and responding in that way. Jacob has experienced the very highest pleasure, the very greatest joy that anybody can ever experience. That is being face to face with God. Nothing, no other counter, nothing is ever going to be anything like that. For Jacob, nothing is going to be ever as awe-inspiring, knee-trembling, glorious, devotional, earth-shaking as this encounter. And through this, through this face-to-face meeting, God allows Jacob to overcome his fear of people and death. Jacob no longer needs to trick people and deceive people to get their approval. He no longer needs to fear them and how they're going to respond. He doesn't need... His old name, Jacob, literally meant deceiver. He doesn't need that name anymore. That's why God gives him a new name, Israel. The name he'll, he'll then carry for the rest of his life. The name he'll give to his people and his nation. This now, this now, after this encounter, this is the man who's going to lead the nation. This is the guy. This fear of the up-and-coming encounter with Esau has, has been eclipsed by something far more Incredible, far more wonderful. This scene tells us about the solution to our own fears of death and of other people. It's the same solution as Jacob's. We need to replace it with a fear of God. Not fear, ooh, I'm scared of you, although it might start there. For some people that might start there. But a sense of just how incredibly wonderful and marvellous and big and powerful and holy and awesome 
and incredible God is. Worshipping, worshipping him in the light of that. Because when we do that, the other stuff doesn't become as big a deal. It's not as worrying. So, you might say to me, well, okay, how do I do that? How can I do that? Am I supposed to go down into the middle of Rotherham, grab hold of somebody, and start wrestling them onto the ground? No. You will be arrested. And rightly so. Okay. Um, This is given us as a signpost, as an illustration, not a model of exactly how to go about it. It's when we encounter Jesus that we have this experience of looking into the face of God. You don't need to turn there. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1, it says this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, like wrestling with them, for example. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, that is Jesus Christ, who he appointed heir of all things through whom he also made the universe. The Son, that is Jesus, again, get this, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. When we read about Jesus in the Bible, we are reading about God. We are getting a sense of what God is like. We are starting to have that intimate encounter with God when we're reading about Jesus, when we're we're seeing Jesus come to life to the stories in the Bible. To know Jesus is to have that same awe-inspiring, knee-trembling, glorious, life-changing experience that Jacob had. When Adam and Eve were created, they didn't know what it was to disobey God. They, They were without sin at that point in the Garden of Eden, and so they walked with God. They walked with him. They saw him face to face. They were created. We were all created. Humanity was created to be face to face with God. And yet Adam and Eve were tempted to disobey God and they ate from the fruit in the garden. And then God turned his face away. God left. He's like, no, you are now sinful people. You are not going to be able to look in my face and live. In the book of Exodus, it says you can't, a sinful man cannot look in the face of God and live. They, lived in, they were now cursed to death. They were going to die natural deaths as we are. And so they were now afraid. They were afraid of dying. They were afraid of what other people would think of them. That's why they're sewing up fig leaves. Like us, they're denied the chance to see God face to face anymore. Because of our disobedience, because of our rebellion, what the Bible calls sin. But God is such a good job. He did not leave it in that state. He did not leave us in that way. He knows that we were created to see God face to face. So what he does, he sends Jesus. He sends Jesus into the world. Not not in a a night like this, but to live a life, to live a life of about 33 years. 
to live a perfect life, to teach us what we needed to know. Jesus came full of grace and truth. And the Bible records for us the life and the teaching of Jesus so we can look at it, so we can respond to it as Jacob responded. Jesus is the face of God that says, you cannot save yourself. You cannot save yourself. You are full of sin. Here I am to die for you. I'm coming to die for you, to pay the price for all that sin. And instead to give you my right standing before God. Trust me. Trust me to do that. Learn the fear of God through looking at me, through hearing me. And to show that we can trust him, to show that we can do that, God raised him from the dead three days after he died so that we can encounter him. And it's through faith then that we read that and we believe in Jesus and we believe that uh, we are sinful people that Jesus has come to save us and by our trust in him we can be saved through faith. And, and people who do that are called Christians and Christians receive forgiveness and the Holy Spirit and adoption. They are called uh, Christ's brothers and sisters. But a Christian's greatest reward, the Christian's greatest reward above all else is that they will see God face to face again. And this is your reward if you are a Christian here today. You will see God face to face. Uh, you, don't have, you can make a note of these passages. You don't have to, have to turn to these. Psalm 17.15 says, As for me, I will be vindicated and will see your face when I awake. I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. 1 John 3, verse 2 says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Well, we were looking at the Beatitudes last summer, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. To know Jesus is to have that awe-inspiring, knee-trembling, glorious, devotional, life-changing experience. It will make we greater than any other fear in our life, which will allow us to face our fears. And having learned this fear of God, Jacob now can face his fears. We can now face our fears. His fear of death and his fear of his brother Esau have been overcome. One writer says that he leaves Peniel with a new name and a new limp. Uh, look back with me back into the Genesis 33. Jacob sees the 400 men come in. Technically, it's probably 401 because it's 400 plus Esau, but it's probably a round number, but about 400. But instead of hanging at the back, you remember he was supposed to be hanging at the back? He's not hanging out at the back. He's right at the front. 
after this encounter with God, he doesn't have to have all these people in front of him trying to pacify Esau. No, he can face his fears. He's going to be at the front, at the front of his family and his servants and all the donkeys and camels. He's going to be at the front. A total change. A total change from the night before. The face of his brother is nothing like as scary. The idea that his brother can kill him is nothing like as awe-inspiring as is an encounter with God. Jacob boldly stands at the front of his people. And guess what? That fear he had, how he'd imagined that encounter the night before, it was nothing like the reality anyway. It was nothing like well, that's going to happen. All those imagination and fears that are built up inside him. Esau runs to him and embraces him. He doesn't try to kill him. He doesn't want his family and his flocks. He's a wealthy man anyway. And notice that Jacob the deceiver is, is also now being honest with his brother. He was going to get all these people in front of him to say, if you look back into 32.20, he was going to say, um, he was getting his people to say that these animals, there are a gift for you. He said, oh, he saw you're so great, these are gifts for you. Now he says, you know, I was going to do that to find favour in your eyes. I was looking to bribe you, to be honest with you. This deceiver has suddenly become an honest man. Having experienced the face of God, he compliments his brother and says, seeing you is like seeing the face of God. Wow. Now that is a compliment. I mean, next time I see my brother, I mean, I like the guy. I mean, you know, he's all right. And I'm not saying that to him, to be honest with you. You know, he's okay. But he still teases me too much. Uh, you, know, you know, this is a huge compliment to Esau. Jacob must have been thinking, I, I don't know what I was worrying about, to be honest with you. But he could only say that, I could only do that, because he'd faced the fear and conquered his fear of death, his fear of death. So what is it that you fear? Okay, spiders, snakes, fish, sure. Take those off. Heights. My own case, I hate heights. But what is it that you carry around with you? What is it that goes to sleep with you and wakes up with you? It may well be a fear of death. It may well be a fear of other people in some way. I'm worried what my boss is going to do to me. I'm worried about how people think about me. Perhaps you can put a specific name on it, a very specific name. And sure, you're gonna, you've probably already done things to try and reduce that risk, to try and manage your fear, perhaps because you struggle to sleep. You perhaps might read a little book before you go to bed because you don't want that to be the last thought before you go to bed, before you go to sleep. The only way you are going to beat the fear of death and the fear of people in whatever form that comes out is by replacing it with a greater fear, the fear of God. That is the only way you're going to do that. 
And you are going to face that fear. Sooner or later, you are going to face that fear. We all die. We all have to interact with other people. You are going to have to face it. God wants us to face it sooner rather than later. He wants to give us the strength through a right relationship with him so that when we we can face up to that fear and conquer it and overcome it. And we're going to do that by having this right relationship with God, by putting our trust in Jesus because he died for us, for our sins. It's going to give us a right relationship with God. It's also going to allow us to look forward to hope in eternal life. We can tell people boldly about Jesus because we don't have to worry about how they're going to respond. We can serve him with all of our hearts because we don't have to worry about what people think about us. You're going to church again? Are you mad? I mean, what do you do for the rest of the week? Why Why don't you do something else? But we can serve him. We don't have to worry about those kind of reactions. If we have understood the fear of God, we can become the people God has designed us to be, the people God wants us to be. So I urge you, I urge you today, seek out this Jesus. Seek out this encounter with God here in the pages of the Bible. If you are uh, not a Christian, I want to encourage you that this is the most incredible and awe-inspiring experience to know Jesus in this way. There will be no experience like it. The same was true for Jacob. There will be no experience like it. If you're here and you are a Christian, perhaps you, you need a, to look again at this Jesus in the Bible and, and regain some of that awe, some of that devotion that you felt. Or maybe you feel it, but you are just scared. You're just really, really scared. Pray that prayer. Jacob prayed that in chapter 32. Pray it for yourself. Put your own words into it. Pray to God. God does not want you to live in fear. God does not want you to live in fear, my friends. He wants you to live in the light of his love. And the way to do that is through having the fear of God. My prayer for all of us is that we would become more like Israel and no longer like Jacob. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are a people who are are so often just mixed up, so often fearful and trembling. We are fearful and trembling because we are scared of what, of our lives, of other, other people. We are scared of what they may do to us, what they may say to us, what they may think to us, how they may react to us, whether they love us or they don't love us. Lord, and we are scared of of death. Lord, too often the idea of dying is like a mountain in front of us. Father, will you indeed point us towards Jacob, point us towards his example here in Genesis, 
Help us to seek out Jesus. Help us to seek in the pages of the Bible our Saviour. Help us to have that intimate encounter with him that means we may truly know who you are and that we might truly fear you, not in a scared, knee-trembling way, but in a worshipful, devotional way. You are God. I am not. I need you and I will worship you. And Lord, help us then to make that a central truth in our lives so we can overcome our fears, so that we can be bold, speak boldly of you, boast of God, and not worry about the reaction, so that we might face our death, knowing that ultimately our reward will be to see you face to face, to see our God face to face. There is no greater joy. There is no greater experience. Will you help us to do that, Lord? Amen.